KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Jim Melwort. There's a guy I've, I've been listening to quite a bit recently. His name's Michael Minna. He is an epidemiologist at Harvard University. And he's basically saying that we need to build a new way of testing if we really want to get a handle on the coronavirus in the United States. And we could do that using his plan would be using Department of Defense funding. As for why we need a different way of testing, he's been critical of what are called PCR tests. That's the the swab up the nose that we've seen and all the pictures that if you've had a test, it's probably the one you've gotten. He's critical of the way that we're trying to use them. He says that they're not designed for this, that, that, you know, a PCR test is designed if you go to your doctor and you have a fever and you don't feel good and the doctor wants to know if you have the flu or COVID-19, then he swabs your nose and sends it off to a lab and the lab tells you what you have. It's not supposed to be a way of tracing uh, where the virus is spreading or outbreaks or anything like that. What, what Minna says we need to do is we need to move that out of the hands of the FDA and into more of a public health way of testing, which, which the FDA doesn't wrap their heads around. All their tests are that diagnostic. The doctor wants to know why you're sick. But Minna says we need to do it differently. There's a few really key pieces. We've focused on PCR thus far. I think what needs to be recognized is that PCR is a terrific test, but it has been used in a way that has stretched our laboratories to their extremes at the expense of other clinical testing that we would normally do, in particular things like HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and other infectious diseases that normally get performed by the same people in the labs. So it's, it's got its place. I think the co-option of our clinical laboratories to perform surveillance testing has been problematic on many fronts. On the one hand, these, these labs were never designed to be high throughput in the way that a pandemic demands. And so what that says to me is we really didn't have a public health laboratory system set up. And I think one of the most crucial things that I still don't see happening is we should be taking this opportunity with all of the money that exists as a result of this pandemic. We should be planning and building true public health labs right now. Um, If we're not doing that, we're failing for our next pandemic. And I really think that we need to be thinking now when when everyone is energized to do so and to put billions of dollars into it to produce actual laboratories that will be able to deal with this kind of thing the next pandemic that comes around. Um, With PCR being too sensitive, I think that there continues to be just an immense amount of confusion that stemmed from Aporva's New York Times article, which I think was, I mean, I take some responsibility because it was really a story that I brought to the New York Times And I think it was written for the most part correctly, but it led to a lot of confusion. And that confusion is that the PCR is too sensitive, not for diagnostic medicine, but it's maybe too sensitive for public health use. If if the goal is to identify people who are currently spreading virus. And that's because just mathematically, you don't even have to do any biology You just have to know that people transmit for a short window of time and stay positive on PCR for a long window of time. And that means that the average person taken off the street who's an asymptomatic individual will have the average person who's positive and asymptomatic, and you don't know anything about their exposure history, on average, they will have already passed their infectious stage. And so that could be almost seen as a 
not, I don't, I, I want to make it clear, it's not a false positive for COVID at all. It's, but it is a false positive or maybe a late positive is the better word for transmissibility. It means you've probably missed that person's transmissible window, which means you've largely missed your opportunity to act. And the only thing that can ameliorate that, it's not a problem with the test, it's a problem of frequency, but PCR can't be spun up enough. We can't increase capacity of PCR enough because it's lab-based, it's, it's, it's difficult and all these things. We, we can't get it to a point where we can be doing PCR tests on, on sort of half the population every third day, for example. Maybe at Harvard and MIT and university campuses we can, but we are ivory towers and we can build our own labs. So I think that that's really where the PCR issue came in. I, I want to make it clear that PCR is a, ter- is a terrific tool. If I'm a diagnostic physician, I want to use PCR. If I'm a public health person, I want to really focus on what's the most frequent test that I can get. What's the test that will allow me to, to test the most people the most frequently if my goal is to use testing as a way to remove people who are infectious from the population? And that's where these rapid antigen tests really start to shine. We're starting to see more and more of them come out. I'm, I've been very grateful to the FDA to continue. I was a little bit down on the FDA a number of maybe a couple of months ago, um, and they've been extraordinarily active uh, in in being willing to discuss with myself and and some of these other um, test manufacturers to see if we can somehow rethink or accelerate the pathway to just improve the pathway to get these tests out and rethink sort of what metrics a public health tool needs to meet versus a diagnostic medical tool. And so um, we've had some very productive conversations with the FDA in the last last month or so. And so I, I think that we'll continue to see antigen tests come to market similar to the Abbott Binex now, which was diagnosed, which was, has an FDA claim for symptomatic use. But we'll start to see, I have one right here. This is a different paper strip test. This is actually a plastic one. If you take off the, the plastic piece, you have just a little piece of paper in there. And so the plastic piece can maybe be made. Um, everyone could have one just like a contact case, and then you just put your little paper strip in and do the test. So I think we'll end up seeing paper strip tests come, become much more available they can be made in huge numbers. And I really encourage the federal government, and I want anyone who has a voice um, that the federal government might hear, to encourage federal government to start producing these, to not wait until each little company comes out and builds one, but just to take the onus on themselves and and treat this in the same way that we build jets and and bombs and things. Um, Let's build one of our major tools against this virus um, at the federal level rather than just buying whatever private enterprise comes out with. And a, a really quick follow-up to that, uh, is there a timeline that you see on that? And what price point would be required to make it uh, legitimately, uh, or I guess, functional? Well, to be clear, I want one of the major reasons for the federal government to produce them is because I don't want the public to pay for these. Um, this should be seen as a public health good. Every person who's not walking around you, every stranger in your environment, if you're in New York City or if you're in Chicago or if you're in Kansas, wherever you might be, we all want to be safe when we walk around. And so by, by giving our neighbors tests, we become safer. And this should not become a class thing. This shouldn't become anything other than how do we make the public safe? And only the government can do that. This is a true, this is the epitome of public health. Now, I've already said that our public health infrastructure really is terrible in this country. So I'm not convinced that we'll get there. I'm not convinced that if the federal government does start to produce these, 
that they will figure out appropriately how to distribute them, but I'm hopeful. I think we, it needs to be free to individuals. I think that they can be made. You know, if the government put 20 or $100 billion into producing these, they could also sell them, for example, to other countries. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a lot, but that's a less than a tenth of what we've, uh, it's way less than a tenth of, of what we've used for COVID bailouts in, at this point. And so, you know, and if we now look at everything I mean, the federal government, they just agreed to set the interest rate at something like 0% for the next few years, um, something along those lines. I, I'm not an economist. Hopefully it will stimulate the economy, but the, just the economic losses are so astounding that it makes $100 billion in testing you know, seem like pennies. And I truly think that this, this should be viewed, the, fun, the funding should come from the Defense Department, I think, where there's a lot of money, and this should just continue to be treated as such. So I don't want them to be priced to the public. And I, I do think that these can be built. If, if things started today, I think that in a couple of months, we could be building many, many millions of them. But I think in a couple of weeks, we could probably have partners spin up um, test manufacturing plants. Um, there's a few cities in China that have a number of plants that can manufacture these. I believe that a lot of the companies are using Chinese manufacturers because that's where these things usually come from. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Jim Melwert. We'll have another episode out soon.